Well, today uh, we continue uh, our study of the book of Hebrews, and today uh, we will uh, conclude uh, one of the most uh, comforting sections uh, in the entire book. Matter of fact, uh, one of the most comforting portions in all of the Bible. And of course, I'm referring to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, which focuses on Jesus' solidarity with man, that through the incarnation, God became a man. He became one of us. He shared the human experience. Uh, let's briefly review what we've covered so far. We've, been, uh, we've taken about the last four weeks to uh, walk through this uh, section Uh, You have your sermon notes, so we'll begin right at the beginning. Most of it will be review. Uh, The only thing left to cover is that final point in your notes, that fourth point. But let's review. Uh, The Hebrew Christians uh, to whom the book was written were facing Roman persecution, which not only included ridicule, uh, scorn, and mistreatment, but also the possibility of imprisonment, torture, and even death. They were struggling. They were wrestling with the high cost of following Jesus Christ. Would they go forward in their Christian faith regardless of the cost? Or would they retreat in compromise to avoid suffering? In their fear, they were tempted to abandon the Christian faith and return to their old Judaism, which seemed to be a much safer route to take. But at the very heart of their struggle were questions about God. Is God fair? Does God care? I mean, if God is fair, how can He allow us to suffer at the hands of evil men? And if God cares, then why do we feel like He has abandoned us? Those of us in this sanctuary, we have not experienced persecution to the degree that these Hebrew Christians did, but we have all experienced painful situations in life where we felt isolated and very vulnerable. There's just that overwhelming Desire to what? To hide. Because you feel so defenseless. Because you feel so helpless. And we will do almost anything to escape the pain. To avoid the suffering and to feel secure again. And so we too ask, like these Hebrew Christians, is God fair? Does God really care? And we too are tempted to compromise our faith 
and retreat in unbelief and disobedience. You know, the depth of this emotional struggle may have been expressed best uh, by David in one of his psalms where he wrote this. And see if you can relate to this. He says, How long, Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Then, beloved, there's only one truth that can bring light and hope to dispel the darkness of that kind of despair. And that message is Jesus' solidarity with man, which we've been looking at in Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 18. So again, review with me the first three truths that we've already examined, and then we'll look at that fourth uh, and final glorious truth. The first truth that we saw, and the focus here was verses 5 through 9, is that Jesus shared the human condition. Jesus, God Himself, became a man through the incarnation. Why? In order to regain man's lost dominion. In the next statement in your notes, we saw God's original intention for creating the human family. God crowned man to be a king of creation and to exercise control over all things. That was God's original intent in creating the human family, to put us in charge over planet earth as His delegated authority, to rule with Him, to control all things. But look at the next point. Tragically, man lost dominion over the earth when he failed to control himself and rebelled against God. Adam and Eve, who were created to rule with God, became slaves of the devil as they yielded to his temptation and forfeited the dominion of the earth over to the devil. As a result, Sin entered the human race and was passed down as a hereditary disease to every person born. Since all or are born sinners, all grow up to become sinners by choice. And in God's justice, the wages of sin is what? Death. And that death is separation from God, not only in this life, but in the next in eternal punishment. Now, since man lost dominion over the earth, a gift that God had given him, a legitimate gift, only a man can regain it. And therein lies man's dilemma. As sinners, under God's judgment, there are none that qualify. And this situation appeared to be what? Hopeless. Which brings us to the next magnificent truth that you see there in your notes. Jesus came to earth as a man in order to raise the human family out of defeat into our glorious destiny to rule with God. See, Jesus became one of us 
so he could die for the penalty of man's sin. And then he rose from the dead to secure the throne that mankind was destined to sit on. All who followed Jesus in the obedience of faith not only receive a pardon from sin, but also the promise of a throne. Now, what was the message to the Hebrew Christians and to believers today who struggle with pain and perplexity? Here it is. Christ on the cross measures your worth. Therefore, there is no need ever to doubt God's love for you. And Christ on the throne guarantees a future so glorious, a future reward that is so glorious that the sufferings of this present time cannot compare. Therefore, there is no need ever to question God's fairness. And because Jesus is sitting on that throne right now, He will not allow anything to touch a believer's life unless he knows he can use it to make you more like him and to prepare you for that eternal destiny to rule and reign with him. Look with me now as we review the second truth. Jesus also shared the human condition in order to restore man's lost relationship with God. And the focus here was verses 10 through 13. And you'll notice in your notes sort of six bullet points. We saw six magnificent truths in relationship to this. First, the purpose of Jesus' suffering and death was to to build a family to reflect God's character. Remember we talked about God the judge not only came from behind the bench and gave you a pardon, but that judge became your daddy. And he adopted you into his family. And in that second bullet point, as the author of salvation, Jesus was perfected through suffering to be a perfect Savior. Again, we raise the question, how can a perfect Jesus become any more perfect? Well, we said it required his suffering. It it required the experience of death for him to qualify to be the Savior that man needed. And in that sense, his suffering and death perfected him. And then look at that third bullet point, and should this not cause us to rejoice? Believers are Jesus' brothers and sisters, and he is proud of it. Uh, I love that verse there in Hebrews 2 where he says, he's not ashamed to call us his brethren because we're family. So we've been redeemed by him and made his possession. And then look at the next truth, uh, which to me is just an absolutely stunning truth, that Jesus literally is in the midst of our corporate gatherings as an active participant in worship to lead in the proclamation and praise of God. When we gather, Jesus is here. And He's not here as a spectator. He's here to participate with us in the worship of His Father. And folks, if that doesn't ignite our worship, our passion, I don't know what will. Remember we talked about that. How how can you just sit there like a bump on a log when you got Jesus worshiping, those nail-pierced hands raised up to his Father, that head lifted up, 
that wore that crown of thorns, that you might be crowned with his love. And then look at the next bullet point. As our real brother, as our real brother sharing our human frailty, he, Jesus, had to depend on God in suffering, and so must we. We have not experienced anything that he has not experienced. These Hebrew Christians, what were they afraid of? Roman persecution. Had Jesus suffered Roman persecution? Had Jesus been imprisoned by the Romans? Was Jesus tortured by the Romans? Was Jesus put to death on a cross by the Romans? Yes. There is nothing that they were experiencing that he had not already experienced, that he had not already endured. And we learn from him that in his sufferings, he had to depend on God, and so we too must as well. And then look at that last glorious truth. Believers are secure. Believers are secure in the arms of Jesus, confident of a great future. Now, in relationship to this second truth that Jesus came to restore man's relationship with God, what was the message to the Hebrew Christians and to us today? Very simple but very powerful. God is not absent. He is present. He's not absent. He is present. He is standing with you in all that you go through. You are his family. God is your daddy. Jesus is your brother who loved you with a love death could not kill, the grave could not bury, a love that rose again for one purpose, to be with you forever. Wow. Wow. See, we, what happens, we arrive at the same conclusion the apostle Paul came to at the end of Romans 8. Paul asked the question, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I mean, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No! A resounding no, Paul says, despite all these things overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then he says, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will, be, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Now look at the third truth. And we looked at this truth last Sunday. And again, for all of these, we're just briefly running through these. If you missed any message, go to the church website, and uh, you can hear any of these there. The third truth, Jesus shared the human condition in order to rescue man from the tyranny of the devil and the fear of death. Jesus shared the human condition in order to rescue man from the tyranny of the devil and the fear of death. And the focus here was verses 14, 15, and 16. And look at those two points. At the cross, Jesus 
representing the human family engaged in combat with the devil. The outcome not only determined the fate of the two combatants, but also those they represented. And the victory he won, he won for you. And then look at that second truth. Jesus' death had the power to render the devil powerless because it was not the consequence of human rebellion, but the expression of human consecration to the will of the Father. See, when the devil, and we talked about this last week, when the devil gained dominion of the earth, sin and death became his weapons. Sin to enslave men and death his henchmen to send us into a Christless eternity. But a champion appeared among men who challenged and engaged the devil in combat for the souls of men. Jesus, the champion of our faith, not only endured death, He not only conquered death, but He transformed death into a door that opens into all the glories of heaven. Now, what was the message to the Hebrew Christians who were struggling with the fear of death? What is the message to us today? Here it is. If you're a believer, you can look right into the face of death and with joy proclaim, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? See, we're scorning death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to be at, but why? Because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We now come to the fourth and final truth. Jesus shared the human condition to be able to come to the aid of those who are tested. Jesus shared the human condition. He shared our experience so that He could come to the aid of those who are tempted. Uh, I hope you have your Bibles open to Hebrews uh, 2. Let's look at these last two verses of the chapter. And really, these are two great concluding verses. It really just summarize uh, this entire section and everything that we've seen already. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made what? Like us. Flesh and blood. Why? Why did he have to be made like us? Notice it says, in all things. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now look at that first truth. Only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to be our priestly mediator. Only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to become our priestly mediator. Look again at verse first part of verse 17. It says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful 
priest in things pertaining to God. What is the role of a priest? The role of a priest is to be a mediator between God and men. He serves as the middleman, as the go-between. Jesus, as the Son of God, represents God to the people, to you and I. But Jesus is the Son of Man, represents the people, represents you and I to God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now notice in chapter 2, verse 17, the emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is both a merciful and a what? Faithful high priest. And I would encourage you to just circle those two words in your Bible. That he's both a merciful and a faithful high priest. Now, let's look at that matter of him being a merciful high priest. What is mercy? Well, mercy is an emotion, but it is more than an emotion. Mercy is feeling, and I emphasize that word. Mercy is feeling the plight of another person, which motivates you to spring into action to bring them relief. That is what mercy is at its very core. It's feeling the plight of another person, which motivates you to spring into action to bring relief. So when it says Jesus is our merciful high priest, it means he emotionally gathers up all of our needs in his heart. And then he springs into action on our behalf. Now, beloved, just pause and think about that a moment. God is moved emotionally by mercy, when you are tempted to sin. God, holy God, almighty God, is moved emotionally because Jesus shared our experience. He feels what you're going through. And He's moved by that. God is moved emotionally by mercy when you falter, when you fail, when you sin, when you fall into discouragement and despair. God is emotionally moved when you're hurting, when you're in pain. And He's not only emotionally moved, He not only feels your plight, He springs into action to come to your side, to provide the grace that you need. And folks, it's even better than that. Because He became one of us, He understands our pain. He knows how it feels. Jesus is not only a merciful high priest, He is a what? Faithful high priest. Now, his faithfulness, I believe, is demonstrated in two ways. First, he was faithful to pay the penalty of man's sin and open the way to reconciliation with God, right? 
In other words, he died to cancel out our sin debt. And not only to cancel out our sin debt, but then to impute, to deposit into our account, into our lives, all his righteousness to give us right standing before God. He endured the cross. He fully tasted death for every man. As one Bible teacher put it, and I love this, he said, our hell, our hell, he made his, that his heaven might be ours. Isn't that a great statement? Our hell, our hell, he made his, that his heaven might be ours. Second, he is, a, he is faithful in the sense of representing us to God. See, he is at, where is he right now? He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as one who was one of us, who feels and understands our struggles. By the way, I believe this sheds great light on that verse in Romans that says the Spirit intercedes for us. You know how the rest of it reads? It says, with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, Jesus brought to the Godhead the sharing of the human experience. Therefore, could the groanings too deep for words be expressing the depth of God's empathy toward us, the depth of God's compassion the depth of His mercy as one who feels our pain because He lived it? I believe the answer is yes. See, Jesus is a faithful high priest who gives grace to keep us from sinning when we are tempted, but He also is faithful to what? Forgive us when we do sin, when we do fail. So only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to be our priestly mediator. Look at the next truth in your notes. Only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to be our loving propitiator. I don't know if that's a word, but I made it up. And, of course, you see where I did acquire it from. Look at the end of verse 17. It says that Jesus came to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And you say, what in the world does propitiation mean? That's sort of a big word, which well, is a fascinating word, and it's a word that every believer needs to understand. The word propitiate literally means, don't miss this, get this down in your notes, it literally means to satisfy or put away divine wrath. That's what the word literally means. It means to satisfy or to put away divine wrath. Wrath. For example, look at Romans chapter 1. Wish we had more time, but we don't. Just a few minutes, but just a few verses to open this up. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. It says, for the, what's the next word? Wrath, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men. God is a holy God. God hates sin. And sin stirs the wrath of God. And it must be punished. But that's why Jesus came. To satisfy God's wrath. To put it away that we might know forgiveness. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And then we're going to turn back to Romans chapter 3. Isaiah 53, and then we'll turn back to Romans chapter 3. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 3, referring to Jesus. He was, of course, one of, these, one of the great prophetic portions of Scripture, looking forward to His death on the cross. It says, He, Jesus, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I think of what we talked about, what, two weeks ago when we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said that He was what? Grieved to the point of death. The grief was so heavy in the Garden of Gethsemane, he literally would have died if God had not sent an angel to minister to him. He knew sorrow. He knew grief. Then it says, yet we ourselves esteemed him, don't miss this, stricken. That word means To be hit for punishment. Smitten of God. That word smitten means to be struck down and afflicted. And would you please notice, he was stricken stricken, and he was smitten by who? God. There on the cross, the devil just became God's tool. Those Roman soldiers became God's tool. But in those moments on the cross... It was the Father that was striking, that was smiting His Son. And why? Why would God pour out the fury of His wrath on His only beloved Son? Well, look at verse 5. But He was pierced through, why? For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to what? Fall on Him. And that's why when Jesus was on the cross, the earth became dark. Because his father turned his back on his son. That's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why me have you forsaken? And his father forsook him. And his father struck him and smitten him in those moments. Because he became the object of his father's furious wrath. As he bore the sins of mankind. As he bore your sins and took the punishment that you deserved, that I deserved. Now here's the good news. He not only took the full fury of his father's wrath, he extinguished it. 
He put it out. So now as a believer, you can say there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're always now the recipient of His love. Everything He does, every act towards you is a loving act. To mold you, to fashion you. Yes, when needed to correct you, but it's out of love. Never anger, never wrath. Because Jesus extinguished the wrath of the Father. Look at Romans 3, which emphasizes this. Romans 3, what a beautiful couple of verses. Look at, uh, well, let's begin at verse 24. It says, being justified. Talking about us being justified. Declared, what does justified mean? We're declared not guilty. We receive that pardon from all sin, past, present, and future. It says, being justified is a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. What's that referring to? When he was displayed publicly on the cross as what? A propitiation in his blood through faith. See, the blood of Jesus Christ represents his death because life is in the blood. And there on Calvary's cross, he spilt his blood. As Kathy just sang, he willingly gave up his life for you. And that blood satisfied the wrath of God. That you might know his love forever and ever. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Look at the last truth. And oh, I just have time to just briefly touch on it. I wish I could say more. Only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to be our sympathetic helper. Only by becoming a man could Jesus qualify to be our sympathetic helper. Helper, I mean, we've seen this throughout this entire passage, but this last verse drives it home. It's like like we just need it repeated to us. It's like we can't really believe what we're hearing. It's just too good to be true almost. Look at verse 18. For since he himself was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I had planned to say much more about this particular verse But I'll just say this. Would you circle in your Bibles that little phrase, come to the aid of, come to the aid of. In the Greek text, that's one verb. And do you know what it literally means? What it literally means. It means to run to a cry of a child. That's what it means. To run in response to the cry of a child. There's not a single person in this sanctuary today. If you walked out and some child in front of you went running and sprawled all over the concrete and began to cry, you wouldn't what? You wouldn't rush to them to try to help them, to try to comfort them. That is the same emotion God feels towards you. And he feels that towards you, yes, when you are tempted, yes, when you falter, when you fail, and yes, when you're hurting and you're in pain. So, what is the message here in Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 18? You're not alone. That's it. You're not alone. Again, the essence of Christianity is not an absent God, but a present God, not an uncaring God, but a loving God. And you're never alone. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. 
Whatever you're going through right now, He is aware. He's not only aware, He cares. He's moved by emotion concerning your plight right now. And He not only cares, He gives assistance. He gives grace. He gives mercy. He shows an unconditional love. A love that will never let you go. But also a love that will never let you off. Because He's committed to getting you ready for that throne that you're destined to sit on. Destined to sit on with Him. So He's committed to build us into His character. Father, I don't even know how we could find words to express our appreciation for the magnificent truth that we've seen in Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 18. That God, you, became one of us. You shared the human experience. You suffered sorrow and fear and hunger. Anxiety. Yet in all of that, you never sinned. You were that perfect Savior that qualified to make payment for our sin. And so because you were tempted in all points like we, yet were victorious, you're the champion. You're the one we must flee to. You're the one that can lead us to victory. And so, Father, dispel the lies of the devil that would attempt to whisper in our ears because we're tempted or because we're faltering, we're failing, that we need to hide from you. And help us to see your compassionate, merciful, faithful heart towards us. That when Jesus extinguished your wrath toward us, it was so that we would always know a love that would never fail us. Lord, we don't want to take advantage of that love. We don't want to presume, Lord, we want to love you for loving us. Such love motivates us to lay down our lives and surrender to you and to live to honor you. And that is our desire. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.